0: all right welcome back to another exciting episode of finding peaks (laughs) i i was actually thinking about this before this started and i always say exciting episodes of peaks yeah like as if people are just yeah
1: like just can't just can't wait
0: more brandon yeah. more in the background so i hope it's as exciting for you yeah. as it is for me uh, right. at the end of the day so uh, exciting episode uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago or at least I promoted it uh joined today with uh, medical uh team members uh here at peaks recovery centers uh dr ryan johnson uh, md and he is our uh, medical director and director of nursing cali Kelly, I am spacing on your last name. Kints. Kints. thank you. I was gonna say Kints, so I'm glad we got that addressed. I'm new to this, everybody who's watching first day. Chief Operating Officer, Clint Nicholson, everybody. Hello, everybody. So very excited to be joined by the medical team. I think they've got a lot of great things to um, help uh, educate on in regards to Medication Assisted Treatment, or MAT, as sometimes you'll see the acronym out there in the world of the addiction treatment space um and so in good fashion let's kick this off with what is medication assisted treatment our friend matt our friend Matt. Matt. (laughs) who is matt we'll find out
2: um, so matt is medication assisted treatment and it's a program that we've implemented recently here at peaks to kind of target um, the cravings of an individual that comes into our program um, specifically for alcohol and opioid use disorder so
0: Swift and to yes. the point, wow, way to deliver that. So I guess in, in this way, let's, let's complicate it a little bit. Let's nerd out That's a little job. bit for, with you, doc, you know, uh, Dr. Johnson, um, how does that work within the brain? What are we looking at here? <clears throat>
3: so the point of it is, is to cut cravings. People crave less, they use less. And uh, so the first question people had to figure out is what is a craving and what's going on with it? So when we have something pleasurable in our body, Um, a pleasurable experience. Like we climb a 14er. um, We win a marathon. We have a spike of a chemical called dopamine in our body. And it's basically the pleasure chemical. Um, Addiction hijacks that chemical. So it usually hovers, let's say, a range between 5 and 25. 25 is when you win the marathon, when you have sex, when you win the lottery. 5 is kind of what you need to get out of bed. Um, All, not all, but almost all chemicals that drugs of abuse, cause that to spike irrationally high. It goes up to 100, something you can never get in real life. And that's why people love it. That's why they, why they go after it. Um, the medications that we use cut that craving. That craving is a memory of that initial event of, of that drug use. And when we, when we have that memory in our brain, we actually have a spike of dopamine again. Just a little spike, but it's just enough for our body to completely remember exactly what it felt like. And we crave, and then we go back and we relapse. And so the medications are supposed to stop that. And so there's two two different ways they can do that. Um, One is um, what Suboxone does, which is it replicates, it binds to that dopamine receptor in a way that keeps it from going up higher. Um, It kind of gives you a little bit of that satisfaction all the time, and so you don't get the big burst and the second way is just by preventing that dopamine spike, and that's what the mal- medication Altrexone does. And they just work work very effectively in, in different ways.
0: Wonderful, beautiful explanation. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, box it up. We're done. Anything wanna, that's a wrap. Anything, right? You're welcome. Anything you want to sprinkle on top of that?
1: No, I think that that's great. That explanation of the craving state is fantastic, and I I think from. Um, when you're looking at it from a behavioral standpoint, when you're, you're getting these spikes in the brain, it is really motivating you and act really activating you to go seek that 100 Absolutely. level right. again. Yeah. And so from a behavioral standpoint, MAT helps to sort of, um, uh, by mitigating those cravings, helps to reduce those like, drug-seeking behaviors, reduce risky behaviors as far as going out and seeking um, uh, an illicit way to achieve that high. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for Peaks Recovery in particular, you know, going back two years ago or prior to uh, two years ago, so the first five years of our company, we, uh, we operated very similarly to the way that this uh, industry operates, that those things are, um, in a way, Stigmatized because they were adding to the problem or seemingly adding to the problem, right? If we gave someone Suboxone, it's like, well, they're craving, and now it's another drug, and mm-hmm. you know they're using it, so the cycle you know perpetuates in that regard. So we had pretty hardened philosophy about this, but I think that you know from uh, you know really the implementation of our detox and you guys coming on board in uh, early twenty twenty and moving away from that model, I think we've seen a lot of extraordinary things you know, namely, you know, uh, lowered AMA rates, and we've been given a lot of insights to this, but one of the things that I think that we've done uh, a little bit differently maybe than some other centers out there who are, you know, um, who are, you know, bringing that into their program, and we're not just treating it as an ambulatory thing, we're treating it in-house as an inpatient program, and so, <laughs> Um, you know, maybe for the sake of time, just highlighting maybe, you know, alcohol use and opioid use, you know, where are we seeing the benefits of starting that and continuing it without dropping them off at sort of a cliff edge, um, in regards to the effectiveness of MAT within residential and stabilization model of care? You want to do that?
3: Sure.
2: <laughs> well, I'm thinking back to um, two years ago when I came on board and we opened the detox facility um, in early 2020, and um, our model of care was very abstinence-based at the time. You have a client that comes in uh, maybe with an opioid use disorder. um, They do their seven days of detox on Suboxone, and our thinking at the time was like, okay, they're done with their taper, so now let's start them on other different medications like antidepressants and start diving in um, with therapy and whatnot. And what we were seeing um, over time is just more post-acute withdrawal syndra- Absolutely. Uh, symptoms. And um, when they discharge out of our care, maybe the, the rates of relapse, you know, because those cravings were so high throughout the treatment stay. And so really um, integrating MAT, we're able to control those cravings and um, follow them through their, um, their MAT treatment And we're able to adjust those doses based on cravings, too, that the client has the opportunity to meet with a provider and talk about, you know, where they're at in their treatment, and we can adjust as necessary. And then furthermore, with opening our IOP program this year, we're able to continue that MAT treatment through IOP, and that gives us the ability to um, more time to case manage them out and find them good resources in the community so that they can continue on this MAT treatment program for as long as they need. So I just think it's such a turnaround that we went from abstinence space to more of a harm reduction model just because we did research within our own facility.
3: I think we really saw the benefit of early um, Suboxone in our, op- in, in our opiate users because after getting on their last day of their taper, they, would, they wouldn't say I want to use, they'd say I just want to leave, I don't want to be here. Right, absolutely. And they yeah, would, absolutely. And they would just, they would bolt and they didn't even recognize themselves that it, it was craving. And so we found just doing a low dose of the suboxone two milligrams four milligrams um, was enough to keep them engaged in treatment throughout the state absolutely day.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it helps to change that narrative that used to be well they're just not ready right yeah. i think that that's what we would always go to and the industry would absolutely. go to back in the day is uh, you know you get somebody on day seven of their taper and those craving states are so intense particularly yeah. with opioid users Um, that they're just, they're gonna go, they're gonna leave because Mm -hmm. the brain is literally telling them to go use. It's almost to a certain degree demanding that that happen. And so when they would leave, they would pack up, go. And you know, I think in the industry up until that point in the abstinence-based world, there's this sort of mentality of, oh, they're not ready. They haven't hit rock bottom, you know, and and so we we kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, well,
3: hopefully they don't die when they relapse and we get to see them again. Mm -hmm. And 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 now we see them a week after that, after we started and they have hope for the first time ever, right. Absolutely. and it's, it's awesome.
2: And I also think with, with the MAT program, you know, we, you just talked about after seven days, I'm out of here, um, the prevalence of fentanyl in our society Absolutely. is so huge. Um, somebody could do seven days of detox, those cravings are high, they go out and they use, and they, we don't know what's in the substance that they're using, Absolutely. and it could be fentanyl laced to the point where... Um, they could overdose, coma, and possibly die. So keeping them on this MAT program to control that um, risk of AMA and possibly using unknown right. substances is huge as well.
1: And, and a lot of people don't know that the MAT medications themselves actually help to prevent overdose. You know, the way that they're designed, particularly Suboxone, which has an opioid component, and then it has a, actually um, basically an altraxone or an Narcan component to it. Right. So it's, it does help to decrease the, the risk of overdose if somebody does use, in, a, in addition to mitigating withdrawal symptoms, in addition to mitigating cravings. Right. So it, um, it really is a, a really powerful medication that allows people to, again, because of you, you, you don't have those behaviors that go along with cravings, people start to live normal lives. Yep. You know, they get to actually go and start to build a life within society that allows them to um, be successful and 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 be productive.
3: And it gets it gets them out of their their habits. They're using habits. They develop yes. a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, so the box is not a forever tool, but it's yeah. a great tool for the first so, great, three years of sobriety. Yeah, Absolutely. Great stepping
0: stone. So what do you think is essential in running? You know a sophisticated medication-assisted treatment platform, right? Because at at the same time, too, even though the ideal maybe, you know, dosages for residential care is 4 milligrams, 2 milligrams, you know, at the same time, we're going to run into patients who are going to say, no, 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 I'm better at 8, you know, uh, 16. I I don't know what the full doses in between are. But, you know, what what does it take to really nurture that from a programming standpoint?
3: You got anything to say for that? I mean, I
2: personally (laughs) think it's it's our wonderful providers. They spend a lot of time with the clients. Uh, they meet with the clients multiple times a week, Absolutely. and they really check in and ask those difficult questions, and really allow the client to open up and say. Because sometimes people may downplay how they're feeling, right? Whether it's they're embarrassed or they don't feel like talking about it. And I just think the providers that we have at Peaks really have that gift and talent to to ask those difficult questions and pull those answers. And so, and just having them work together, provider and client, figure out what isn't appropriate. Um, dose and then also following up after that so I do think you guys are a huge component of why it's successful
3: I I mean I think there is truth to that because I think that the clients feel cared for they feel someone wants to help me actually get off of this off this drug I'm using and and so listening to them and trying to tailor it individually for their needs I think makes a difference Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sorry. That that tailoring component is huge. And, And the sort of recognition that when somebody is in a residential facility, that dose may actually be lower. And they may be sustained on the lower dose because there are a lack of stressors right they're in a sort of bubble that allows them to really in those the very early stages of healing and stabilization once you leave that bubble those stressors increase and so those cravings will and triggers will naturally increase with it so being able to meet with providers who will listen to the client and will be able to adjust those doses appropriately given the fact that you know life Happens, right. you know, and so and as life happens, triggers, cravings, all of those things do increase, and so I think being realistic about that and being able to have these sort of ongoing conversations in which there is a real—it's um, interesting that a sophisticated MAT program is really a relational MAT program if you, when you get absolutely. when it gets down to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and um, you know, kind of in the the host seat, operating here, thinking of like, where do I want this to go? You know, in a way, because I'm I'm advocating for. How not only um, addiction treatment centers can behave more responsibly, but in better engage with care and provide quality of care, not just access to care, but the word that 's coming up for me certainly here is access to care. having providers on site, dedicated medical staff members allows for that continuous access in a way that promotes quality over time, and I think that 's just resonating for me and certainly something <laughs> that I want to say you know um, uh, because it's uh, again what I want families to hear out there who are listening to me as the host within you know the Finding Peaks episodes Is to be curious how these treatment centers are working again because at the end of the day You can call any one of us and our admission teams are awesome And they're going to tell you we have everything available to this But it's just not always true and to the point and if you have a loved one who is suffering from an opioid use disorder for example 96,000 people last year died of overdoses related to opioids in that regard. This is a serious Thing that's taking place an epidemic you know overshadowed by a pandemic at mm-hmm. times but it's a significant amount of people that are dying um, you know all the time now as a result of this and so accessing care where there's quality being provided supports and mitigates those risks um, you know post-treatment in that regard so i'm off my ty- tyrant here <laughs> my, my tyrannical tear here uh, moving back into the into the episode here. So, so what are some of the you know we use Matt or I think I think we think about it a lot in terms of alcoholism or opioid you know use in that regard. So, what are some of the medications that are used? You know, maybe we'll start with uh, alcohol and then move into opioids, and then you know what makes them uh, effective in that regard.
2: Yeah. So, um, inpatient we use Naltrexone, um, which is actually like an, an opioid antagonist, so it just blocks. Um, the effects, which also works for alcohol, um, to reduce those cravings. And uh, a lot of our clients do start on naltrexone, and as they um, move to the end of their treatment stay, we also offer a long-term injectable form of naltrexone called Vivitrol. And so um, that just is more convenient when you're out, you know, when you discharge and you're back to normal life and getting going. It's sometimes it's frustrating to have to remember to take an oral tablet every single day Um, so Vivitrol is a program that we implement to um, inject once a month and uh, so Dr. Ryan is our providers are Vivitrol providers so what we do is we get them set up we educate them hey if you're interested if you don't want to take this naltrexone you can get these monthly injections so we get them started on that we give them their first injection if they continue through the IOP program we continue the injections for them but ultimately set them up with another Vivitrol provider so that they can continue to get those monthly injections and a lot of patients just find that really convenient.
3: And the the great thing in alcohol for that medication is it actually does two things it helps with the cravings but it also helps if if you do drink if you do relapse um, it doesn't feel as good it blocks some of that pleasure so um, your relapse lasts less long um, Mm -hmm. and you return to sobriety quicker. Absolutely
0: so in regards to you know, opioids as well too, you know, we have buprenorphine and uh, you know, Suboxone, and I think those are common Subutex, mm-hmm. common you know, language that's used to, of course, to describe the medications. But um, within that, I think we have sublicade as well too as an injection, mm-hmm. right? And so what are sort of the trade-offs that we see benefiting, not benefiting in regards to Vivitrol and sublicade from a provider standpoint? <clears throat> Not following you. Okay. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair, so, you know, um, I guess if there's insights that can be added to the, the notion that, right, that, you know, we see hesitancy around sublicate, right, because it's an injection, lasts, what, two to four weeks, depending on body size. Uh, Vivitrol works in a very similar way, three to four weeks, depending so on... So just
3: a disadvantage to injectables is what you're asking.
0: Yeah, or tension maybe that you're seeing when you're sitting with patients and the tension that arises versus, you know, Suboxone, Subutex taken, you know, daily, whatever the case might be, versus those sort of long-term regimens.
3: You know, I think part of it is if there's any part of them that still wants to use, if they're only 99.5% sure, that 0.5% fights it. Yeah. Because they want to be able to get off and use again. And so it's kind of an early... Early sign that they might not be fully in yet, um, but additionally, that there's a huge cost difference. If your insurance doesn't cost doesn't cover it, it's absolutely not affordable mm-hmm. by private pay. I mean, I think it's like a thousand dollars a month for those those shots, uh, and the pill version is is reasonable. Um, so sometimes it's just a cost reason why we have to continue the pills. Um, sometimes the shots are too uncomfortable for people to want. I mean, it, it create, puts a little lump under your skin, because yeah. mm-hmm. it, it's a depot, so the medication is there for a month and then just slowly dissolves. Um, but I think in, in all cases, they work, they work better. Um, and I, yeah, the last thing is there's sometimes a pro- provider issue. If, if you're going back to Washington, we can't always find a provider we know is going to provide it where you, where you are.
2: So, yeah, the access to naltrexone and, and suboxone we feel is a lot more prevalent. When, we, when we're discharging and case managing somebody out versus injectables. Um, so there's an advantage versus a disadvantage to both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, and there's a, I think, also like a, a behavioral component that's there as well as far as what if Suboxone is better for you or if, no, or if Vivitrol and Atraxone is going to be the better option for you. I think that different, at different times in your treatment and at different places you are as far as the commitment to sobriety, either one of those can be a better option. And I've seen them used really well together as well, where somebody does a Suboxone regimen, which the regimen is, the recommendation is a minimum of two years actually. So three years has a tremendous amount of efficacy. Um, a year would be the minimum that mm-hmm. we would ever really recommend, but typically it's a two year regimen. And then after that time on Suboxone, then going to Vivitrol as another sort of way to, as a, almost like as a step down, um, in in the level of care and sort of managing uh cravings and symptoms and almost
0: giving another safety net there gotcha so the enrollment period or the the time that's needed there is i mean i guess it's independent per individual right but at the same time too maybe what i'm hearing there as well too is just the concept of neuroplasticity and new neural pathways that support the healthier side of the brain with that supporting cast being you know suboxone naltrexone or otherwise um so it you know, so those are, those are big time frames, but are there any, like, identifiers to, for which, like, you can look at, you know, year one, you two, three, or, or whatnot to say, yeah, this is this is a good point to kind of step off this and move into a different direction?
3: So the the only problem with the naltrexone the Vivitrol is it doesn't protect against overdose. Right. Um, so, so anybody who's using medications off the street mm-hmm. with the, as much fentanyl <coughs> as there is around, we, I, I'm not comfortable using the, pushing the, the naltrexone, Vivitrol in them. Yeah. You want the protection that the Suboxone provides. Yeah. Which um, is the naloxone, yeah.
2: that blocks.
1: Right, and you really, I mean, for those, you really actually want a, 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 uh, some level of stability when you're starting to engage mm-hmm. in those medications. Because again, the risk is, there, there are added risks actually, even though it may be more convenient, and it may, um, in the sense that it's a 30, you know, once a month kind of thing, but There are risks that um, definitely start to present if somebody is still actively using. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and so opioids and alcohol are, are in their use, um, can be very deadly. Of course, Um, long-term use, um, even one-time use with fentanyl laced within it, Um, you know, meth and uh, marijuana THC present, I think, uh, different types of problems. They're not as high risk for you know death. Um, in long-term abuse, short-term abuse but at the same time um, it's still a patient demographic that's suffering in a variety of ways but it doesn't seem like that we have a lot to kind of throw at them differently than those prior you know two substances uh, in that regard and so kind of you know, when somebody, when we pull the pot out of them for the first time, right, and they can't can't use it, they seem extremely irritable, you know, by comparison, (laughs) right? Um, And, you know, maybe a meth user has to sleep it off, but they wake up irritable um, in a similar sense of things. And so, uh, you know, in that regard, it's not a harm reduction approach. Um, There's nothing significant in the way as far as, you know, death being imminent, maybe on the other side. But, you know... What are things that we're utilizing you know, today that can support those individuals um, in a way in which they're vividly suffering in those early moments?
3: So, I mean, that's kind of two separate questions. The, the marijuana, there isn't any FDA, MAT medication for it. Okay. Um, we control their anxiety through medications, through therapy, and that helps because usually anxiety is a, is a trigger for the marijuana mm-hmm. use. Um, Gabapentin is commonly used as an MAT for marijuana. It's been shown to have a, a little efficacy, and actually N-acetylcysteine, which is just a, uh, a Supplement has been shown in young kids to help um, with marijuana um, but as far as Methamphetamine cocaine that those are the medications or those are the drugs that, that bump dopamine directly and uh there's one medication that's not FDA-approved but makes sense that we use, and that's bupropion or Welbutrin, mm-hmm. um, which just, it, it releases dopamine. And so after people have been using those medications a lot, instead of sitting at the, at the 25, which is normal, they're, they're down near zero, and all the Welbutrin does is kinda of get them feeling normal again. So it doesn't block the craving state, but it um, helps them normalize a little faster, is the thought, at least. Um, the kind of innovative thing we're looking at is TMS. Um, and that's transcranial magnetic (laughs) stimulation. Transcranial magnetic stimulation, yeah. Which um, was new to me two years ago when I I started here, Um, but it's basically uh, this big machine that has magnetic coils that creates magnetic pulses. You put a helmet on people, and those magnetic pulses are aimed at the prefrontal cortex where depression occurs, um, and basically stimulate it, so you end up with stronger cells, and, and those stronger cells secrete more dopamine, um, they create more serotonin, and you just end up with people that normalize, again, lot, a lot faster than they would have otherwise. And we're seeing seeing definite improvement in people with that.
0: So one potential avenue, then, for innovation in regards to, um, you know, the methamphetamine users and marijuana users even, yeah. potentially? Uh, or just stimulant, maybe? More stimulants. Okay, but yeah, absolutely. For, as an MAT. Um, yeah, absolutely.
3: TMS is definitely a... It, It's gonna help a lot of our population because depression is a huge, huge trigger and that's what the predominant, it was designed for is to treat the depression. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even though it's not um, mainstream in the addiction world, I think we are seeing just market improvement in a lot of patients with it. I think it's a fascinating future. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in that regard, I think we touched on a little bit of innovation there, and um, we were able to see extraordinary things happening. Uh, Certainly, your wife, Dr. Ashley Johnson, is doing wonderful things in the TMS world, and um, ketamine infusion and those sorts of practices, and would love to continue forward with that innovation and, and what that looks like, you know, maybe contrasting with, you know, pharmacology approaches in the future. Um, as well too. So for a future episode, we'll, we'll invite you back in, bring the docs, the medical team back, and hopefully have a, a wonderful conversation about potential uh, innovating features of this industry on behalf of addiction and uh, mental health disorders mental as well too um, in that regard. So we'll come back next time. Medical team, thank you so much for yeah, being here. Thank you, uh, absolutely. Good to have you guys. Yeah. Yeah. most sti- exciting episode. Very yeah. exciting. <laughs> most, most exciting Extremely episode. Extremely exciting. Yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, uh, as, uh, as we normally do in exiting here, thanks again for joining us. I uh, look forward to having you guys on future episodes. Chris Burns, Jason Friesman, myself as host. Um, For all the kids out there, check us out on the Instagram. I think we're we're doing TikTok now. TikTok, yeah. pretty much the coolest people (laughs) ever. Uh, Facebook, Spotify, um, Instagram, if I didn't say it. Finding Peaks at peaksrecovery.com. Send your questions, thoughts, ideas, um, all of that so that we can speak uh, to you guys directly and speak to what's important to you guys um, in regards to how this uh, industry operates and so forth. So thanks again for joining us and until next time.